Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name is Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. Today we are going to be exploring a very famous story. A story where Jesus takes a little and makes a lot. The feeding of the 5,000. If you go to our website, saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk, you can now sign up to our regular email where we will let you know everything that's going on at St Ninians, when it's happening and how you can get involved. So let's listen to our passage for today. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. But they replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over the broken pieces, twelve basketfuls. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. This is an important story in ways that we might not even realise. We can miss so much of what these stories are about just because we don't get the significance of some of the words or the things in the story that relate to the history of the people that Jesus is talking to. We need to pay more attention, to dig deeper, because something really important is happening here. Jesus is looking for some quiet some time on his own. His cousin John, we know him as John the Baptist, has been executed by Herod. Herod was scared of John because John was drawing a crowd. Not even in the capital, but out there in the wilderness. John was being critical of the leadership. He was pointing out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And he was calling Herod out. And it got John killed. This is a dangerous time to be a prophet out there in the wilderness, drawing a crowd. But Jesus can't get any peace. Wherever he goes, even in a boat sailing across the lake to a deserted place on the other side, even then, people follow him out into the wilderness. Lots of people, 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So about 12,000 people, because everyone counts. That's something we're still learning. There they are all with their needs, all who want something from Jesus. A cure, a word, some comfort, a change in their circumstances. They want Jesus to make things better for them. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. Compassion is an interesting word. We hear it as feeling sorry for someone, but it means something much more powerful. In English, it means to enter into someone else's suffering with them. In Greek, it means something even more. It means to be moved in your guts. That feeling you get right in the pit of your stomach. 
Jesus is tired and he's grieving. And we all know that in those circumstances he could be forgiven for being less than interested in how other people are feeling. But he has compassion. He's deeply moved, moved to his guts by the plight of the people he sees gathered before him. Thousands of them. Out here in the wilderness. The wilderness has a special part in the story of these people. If you were to ask a Scot about places that were important or where important things in our history have happened, we might say Bannockburn or Culloden or Stirling Bridge or Wembley, all places where important battles took place that shaped what Scotland as a nation would look like. For the people of Israel, the place where their nation was formed was the wilderness. When they escaped from Egypt, they wandered around learning how to be a community learning how to live together without their slave masters telling them what to do, learning more about God and developing a sense of identity. It took them 40 years to work it out. Some pretty harsh lessons were learned in the wilderness. Mostly those lessons were about relying on God in hard times. The people ran out of food. And when they did, God provided manna, bread from heaven every morning. So when we find Jesus out in the wilderness with a huge group of people talking about bread, we should definitely pay attention. Something important is happening here. Jesus works all day, meeting the needs of the people in front of him. And now it's evening, and the disciples are hungry. This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late, they say. Send the crowds away so that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Did you notice how the disciples dress up their own hunger as concern for the crowds? Can we go now? Are you done yet? These people are getting hungry. Well, actually, we're getting hungry. Jesus says to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Eh? What? We don't have anything. We've only got five loaves and two fish and that's really not enough for the twelve of us and any women who might be with them. But this is a test and it's a demonstration. The first test is of the disciples' faith and their memory of their own nation's story. Do they remember the story of the manna in the desert? Do they remember when the people had to rely on God? And do they really believe who Jesus is? I spent the day with him, another day among many, watching Jesus do the impossible. But they still lack the imagination to believe that Jesus could really be who he says he is. Give what you have to me, says Jesus. And hesitantly, they hand over their only food. And from five loaves and two fish, everyone was fed. Then Jesus put the disciples to work, gathering in, Whatever was left over, and there were twelve baskets full. Twelve. One for each of the tribes of Israel. Even when everyone has eaten, there's still enough for everyone. It's a miracle of provision, a reminder that God has given us all that we need, even when we think it might not be enough. How often do we respond to God's invitation to step up, to help out, to get involved by saying, Who me? I couldn't possibly. 
I, I don't have enough skill. I, I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough of whatever I think it is that I might need to do this task. An equivalent of all I've got is five loaves and a couple of fish. This is an easy miracle to explain away. People had food, they just didn't want to share it. But when they saw others sharing, then they saw that it was okay and that there would be enough. And so they shared with those around them. For me, that's probably a bigger miracle than Jesus doing some kind of magic to make the disciples pack lunch go further. Let me explain. My friend Martin Johnson is someone who inspires me every time I hear him speak. The other day I was listening to him in an interview with the moderator of the General Assembly, Martin Fair. They were talking about poverty, something Martin is passionate about ending. The moderator posed this dilemma to him. Jesus says the poor will always be with us. So why should we bother? That's a good question. But Martin's response caused me to stop. Stop in my tracks. He said, poverty is caused by our sin. By my sin and your sin. And as long as we're sinful, there will be poverty. Sin's just a, a word for doing the wrong thing. For being selfish or greedy or cruel. All the things that harm us and harm other people. It's so easy to talk about poverty in big terms. It's caused by structures and government policy, by capitalism. And that's true to a certain extent. But at a very basic level, poverty is caused by me. The choices that I make by my behaviour. This miracle is an example of that. The food each person has in their bag came from God. It's a blessing, a gift. They may have worked to earn the money to buy it. They may even have planted it and watered it or caught it and prepared it. But they didn't create it. God did that. In my greed and selfishness and my sin, I want firstly to make sure that I've got enough. That I'm fed, that I won't be hungry. Can you imagine the disciples' concern when Jesus takes their food away from them? I can. Oh no. We're not getting that back, are we? Why did you have to tell them we had food? Now we're all going to be hungry. But even in their reluctance, the disciples start something amazing. People see what they've done. And they join in. People make a different choice. They choose to share. They choose to share the gift that they have received. We might say it another way in church language. They repent of their sins. They change their behaviour. They go from only being concerned with themselves and their own needs to being concerned about their neighbour. So much so that they share what they have. That's a miracle. That's just as much a miracle as five loaves and a couple of fish feeding everyone. Why? Well, because it involves 12,000 people changing. We talk often about trying to be a bit more like Jesus. Well, this is what it looks like. At the beginning of the story, we hear Jesus' deep compassion. By the end, everyone is being compassionate. That's the miracle we need. That's the lesson that changes everything. If we can be more like Jesus, if we even in our own struggles, in our own pain and grief and difficulties, if we can look around and see the needs of others, and be moved to the core of our being and respond 
to enter into that need with them, to be alongside them, to see what they see and feel what they feel, to have compassion, and then do something about it. Share what we have, pass on whatever blessing we've received. In that moment, we are blessed. Because in that moment, the kingdom of God comes close. God of miracle and God of every day, may we see you healing and feeding and teaching and serving through ordinary people who you call to be your body in the world today. We thank you that you reveal your love in those around us and that you enable us to step up to be Christ for one another. Lord, forgive us for the times when we cannot be bothered, the times we look to our own comfort first and forget that your command is to love one another. Forgive us. Help us to do better. God, in Jesus you gave us a perfect example. So may we keep on learning from him and may we keep being imitators of him until we too are sought out by others as people of peace and love in the name of God who is love. God, when we're frightened, give us courage. When we're disturbed, bring us calm. When we sit in the darkness, show us the beginnings of the dawn. When we want to retreat and be quiet, not just back to bring life to others. When we're tempted to hoard what we have, open our hands to share. God, again and again, you remind us that we have power. Power to heal the earth and its people. So may we use that power in love and service, just as Jesus showed us. Lord, surprise us with glimpses of you at work around us, making all things new. And may we yearn to be part of that, working alongside you to heal creation with you. God of the universe. Hear us as we pray in your name, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. Amen. Amen.